Chapter 8. Will the real Paul McCartney please stand up? Okay, Scotty. Yeah, we recording? You know, sometimes you turn a light on and I just have no idea what is happening. And then I look your way and there you are just shaking your head no. So is this real? Okay, I'm just going to go with it. Speaking of real, there was a real time in real life when Paul McCartney was not the real Paul McCartney. And it's none of this Paul is dead stuff, so get that right out of your head. And I'm sorry you have to hear these facts from me, Wisp Charlington, the official rock authority. Yep, I gave the title to myself and there are no takesies backsies. You know that. A deal's a deal. You may be asking yourself, how does he know about this Paul McCartney? Also, why is no takesies backsies the strongest law of the land? One, I was there when they did the switcheroo. And two, pretty sure William the Conqueror was the first to use no takesies backsies in 1066. And since this isn't a fucking history novel, I'm not going into great detail here. But after all that Battle of Hastings shit went down, William the Conqueror looked at the other side and shouted, And no takesies backsies! And the other side, again, research this shit on your own. Shit, we never thought of that said the other side. And what was done was done. The year was 1966, and London was where you wanted to be if you wanted to have non-stop sex to some of the freshest sounds in the world. You could fuck to the pretty things, the kinks, the who, but not the Rolling Stones. They were an immediate boner killer. And you wouldn't be able to recover for weeks. When Mick says that you can't always get what you want, he is 1,000% referring to a strong erection. Keith confirmed this for me when I hung out with them during my celibate month on the Steel Wheels tour in 1989. Well, if you try sometimes, and by that I mean getting a body out away from us, you'll get what you need. And by that I mean a proper action, said Keith Richards. No British rock was a pure sexual tonic more than that of the Beatles, and they knew it. They practically rubbed it in your faces. Yellow Submarine? Sure. Yeah, that was about a boat. Whatever you say, Ringo. I was living in swinging London in 1966, and I probably had the most sex of my life at Abbey Road Studios, the chosen site where John, Paul, George, and Ringo recorded some of the horniest songs in modern history. The boys had just put down their instruments after recording a particularly saucy rendition of I'm Only Sleeping, with sex just dripping down the Studio 2 walls. Mate, I'm thinking of moving on, said Paul, catching his breath. What you mean? Asked a sweat-soaked John Lennon. I just think I'm bored with the whole Beatle thing with all these sexy songs. Well, I've written the sexiest song. It's called Octopus's Garden, and it's downright nasty. Interrupted Ringo. Ringo then hummed the chorus. That's fucking disgusting, Ringo. But I fucking love it, I said. Maybe you should tuck that one away. Let it rip when no one is expecting it. Ringo nodded. And Paul, if you want to leave the Beatles, I know a bloke who looks exactly like you and sounds even better. The Beatles were stunned. Who could this mystery Paul be? You know it. Wisp fucking Turlington. I grabbed Paul's Hofner bass and played it right-handed like the good Lord intended. And I played the sexiest version of Yesterday ever heard. It's a good thing George Martin wasn't rolling tape during that one, because the world would have heard the sound of Martin's underpants hitting my mic halfway through. He just couldn't take it anymore. Well, I've heard enough. 
You're our new pal, said Lennon. Mac and I cut our hands and did one of those Blood Brothers handshakes Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band won't shut the fuck up about. And that was that. Paul hopped in a black cab out front and went off to start a new life while I started mine as the new Paul McCartney. I turned to the band. Okay, now we're going to play one of mine, I said as I played the opening notes of Panty Raid, a song I had originally written in 1962 about my college days in Valverde. The other Beatles couldn't believe their ears. George Harrison immediately puked, while Sir George Martin shouted from the booth. Yes, well, it's a hit and it's already in stores. Panty Raid was immediately number one all over the world. It was one of those single-only Beatles songs. We ended up keeping it off of Revolver, and we immediately followed that up with another one of my songs, It's Drippin' Time. Oh, yes, it is. Boom! Another number one. Maybe next time we can write one together. Mind your fucking business, Lennon. I snapped back. There's only one songwriter in the Beatles now, and it's Paul Wisp Turlington McCartney. Lennon looked so sad. I think it was finally starting to sink in that his old mate was gone. And this perfect songwriter had replaced him. Around this time, the other Beatles started whispering to each other a lot. I'd ask, what are we talking about? And they'd reassure me that they were definitely not talking about me. And I believed them. Why would they be upset with me? I turned this operation into a fucking gravy train. There was literally a train filled with delicious brown gravy parked out front of Abbey Road. And I fucking did that. The following weekend, I took a little trip to the south of France with my boner-killing pals, the Rolling Stones. It was our first time there, and they wouldn't shut the fuck up about how much they loved it and how they'd love to skip out of paying British taxes one day and just live there. And that, my friends, was just the erection-killing words that constantly flowed from their mouths. But they were my friends, and they still are to this day, except for Bill Wyman. He knows what he fucking did. While in France, I came up with the next big thing for the Beatles. We would do a fucking concept album. Except, we wouldn't be the Beatles at all. Oh, no, 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 no. We would be a brand new band. And we would all weirdly grow mustaches all of a sudden with no explanation. And we would be known as Admiral Dipshit's Greasy Pack of Wads. I even had the opening song's lyrics written in my mind. It was 40 years ago, you sods. Admiral Dipshit had a pack of wads. I sang it to Keith and Mick, and they couldn't believe it. Oh, I can't believe it, said Keith. Right, Wisp, that's so good, I miss myself, whined Mick. I knew this was pure gold, and I had to get back to the boys post-haste. I arrived back at Abbey Road Studios, and I bust open the Studio 2 door. And there they were, sitting at a table with Paul fucking McCartney. Paul gave this whole sob story about how much he missed them and how he hates owning a farm, blah, blah, blah. What a load. Hello, Wisp. Can I speak with you alone? Asked Paul. Sure, Paul. We go to the Abbey Road Canteen and I go to fucking town on their buffet while Paul only gets a tea. That's a real shit move, by the way. If you go to a meal with someone and you see them go absolutely ape shit on a buffet, you follow suit. Don't make them feel like the only hog on Hog Street, you get me? Anyway, Paul gets right to the point and asks if I want to switch. Paul, it's too soon, man. I, I have this music just, just living in me. 
Paul asked what I was working on, and I told him the whole Admiral Dipshit concept. He shook his head. Well, then the boys will never go for something that genius, Wisp. Keep that one for yourself or down the road, said Paul. I couldn't believe it. That bastard just fucking octopus has gardened me. As I walk out of Abbey Road, I can hear the boys rejoice behind me. The boys were indeed back in town. Yea, old chums were reunited. And then I hear Sir George Martin exclaim as his underpants hit the studio floor. It's already a hit. What? What is? What the fuck do you mean, George Martin? Also, put some pants on. I walk outside the studio. An artwork for Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club band was already plastered all over London. Jesus Christ. Not even five minutes had passed. That scouse bastard stole Admiral Dipshits. My crown jewel. I ran to the record store to confirm my suspicions, and there it was. Mustaches. Weird costumes. Creepy cardboard cutouts of all of the people I cannot name. Every little detail that I had shared with Paul. Not only that, but that piece of shit used every song title for my concept with just a slight change. When I 69 became When I'm 64. Fixing a hole replaced my epic, Fixing My Hole. And with a little help from my friends was much nicer than my version. Fuck my friends. Yeah, he took it all. Even my idea to end a day with my wife with a strong-ass piano chord. Yeah, I guess that's just the cost of being Paul McCartney. It's the price you pay. Now, whenever I see Macca, he ribs me while cheekily saying, Admiral Dipshit. Now, whenever I see Macca, he ribs me while cheekily saying, Admiral Dipshit. You know, I gotta say, his joke was funny in 1970, the first time he did it. Now, it's just fucking hack. Go write another ubu-jubu, you shit. Funnily enough, that was the only time Paul McCartney was replaced. I have no idea where the whole Paul is dead legend came from, and frankly, I think it's dumb as hell. Whereas this story? Oh yeah, this story, easily true.